0: Hurley Winkler is the writer behind Lonely Victories, a substack newsletter she started in 2020. The name Lonely Victories is loosely connected to a beautiful Greta Gerwig quote I want to share with you now. You know Greta as the director behind Lady Bird and Little Women, both of which earned Academy Award nominations for Best Picture. She also directed 2023's Barbie, in case you didn't know. Greta once said, writing with a partner is more fun than writing alone because you can make each other laugh but writing alone can give you a very deep sense of satisfaction and lonely victory. Hence the name of Hurley's uh, newsletter. As of this recording, her newsletter has over 1,500 subscribers on Substack. Hurley also interviews writers and musicians for the Creative Independent and Jacksonville Music Experience, and her writing has appeared in Hobart, Neutral Spaces, The Millions, Rejection Letters, and Elsewhere. Another cool thing Hurley does is she teaches writing workshops to fiction and nonfiction writers. Some of them are one-day workshops, while others can last as long as five weeks. You can find more information about these workshops on the About page for Lonely Victories, which I've linked in the description of this episode. I'm always thrilled to speak to a fellow writer, and I want to extend a very warm welcome to Hurley Winkler for being the very first guest on the Mind of a Writer podcast. So Hurley, welcome. Welcome.
1: Oh, the very first guest. What an honor. I'm so appreciative.
0: Um. So Hurley, yeah, like we said before, I uh, didn't include this in the list of questions, but I wanted to ask you what your favorite Greta Gerwig movie is.
1: It's an easy one for me, actually, even though I do love all of her films. My, my favorite movie, period, let alone my favorite Greta Gerwig movie, is Little Women. Uh, and I actually was not a big fan of the book when I was a kid or anything like that. I actually didn't read it until I was in college as an English major. And, um, I just, I thought her adaptation of it was so beautiful when I watch it, I've seen it so many times and I just have my heart in my throat the entire time. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. I just think it's a totally perfect film and it got me re-excited i guess if i can use a made-up word um about greta's career and i just think she's amazing
0: cool well yeah i just wanted to like i'm a big film buff like i well, i don't know if i'm a big film but i love movies i like to watch the best picture nominees um uh when i can you know for the year and so i wanted people to know a little bit a little bit about greta and um you know so maybe they can check out little women if they want to i i i I certainly will um So, so Hurley, let's get to writing. So when did you first fall in love with writing?
1: I remember it very well. I was in fourth grade and I read the book, Harriet the Spy. And it made me want to just start writing down every single thing I saw in a notebook. And it was, it became my way of processing the world and the world around me. And I realized very quickly that I could also write about the world inside of me, too, like all of the swirly, complicated emotions I was having as a preteen. And when I wrote things down, it felt like I could take all of those swirly, complicated emotions and contain them into a few words. And I would see like it's so amazing to me how physical writing can be, too, because I could see how much space my emotions would take up on the page and that suddenly made it them feel much more contained and i struggle with anxiety and just still am a very like emotional sensitive person which makes sense that's why i'm a writer um but i i'm really glad that i found this coping mechanism on my own very early on um and i have the book harriet the spy to thank for that funnily enough
0: um uh, Harley, do you know your INFJ or do you know your Myers-Briggs type? <laughs> by <any Okay>. chance?
1: <laughs> it's hilarious that you said INFJ instead of Myers-Briggs, because yes, I am an INFJ. You are spot on. I feel like you guessed it. People ask me that all the time. I've had baristas meet me for the first time and ask me, are you an INFJ? I think I just really give off big INFJ vibes. And all of my friends actually are also <laughs> INFJs, which is funny because I, I, if I'm Correct in this, I'm pretty sure it's the least common INFJ or (laughs) Myers Briggs personality type.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I've, I've, I've. It's so funny. I've written a a little bit about that sometimes, and then I get people saying like, "Yeah,
1: I'm gonna, I am an INFJ
0: too." Or like, I send it to my email list, and everyone's like, "I'm an INFJ as well." So like, I thought, I thought maybe you know, you might have had like the NF part of that. I wasn't sure. (laughs) Some people are like ENFJs or whatever, you know. Um. So very cool, Hurley. All right, so. When did you first start uh, First start getting started writing online? Um, when, when was the first time you published online, let's say?
1: Yeah, I was in college. Um, like I said, I was an English major and my friends and I in school started a literature and art magazine. And so I wrote for the magazine in addition to editing it. Uh, the magazine doesn't exist anymore, but it was a really great start. And it was a print journal, but we also published a lot online. And so that's where I really got my start. And from there... Um, I produced a podcast that was about Northeast Florida, which is where I grew up and where I still live. And I did a ton of writing for that. So that wasn't necessarily like my words appearing online, but it was like a digital space where where my work appeared. And I did a lot of arts and culture coverage for local publications here in Northeast Florida. And I wrote a few short stories and essays that got published online around that time, too. But I never had anything online that was solely mine outside of social media until I started writing on Substack in 2020.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. So. Thank you for that segue. So so you started Lonely Victories in May of 2020. At least that's like the first I've scrolled all the way down. I got to your first post. Um, and you and you started that kind of in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I love that that term lonely victory. And I think that that Greta Gerwig quote that I mentioned in the intro, it leaves it it, it it leaves that term up to interpretation. So for you. What does that lonely victory look like?
1: Yeah, well, I'll also say about that quote, I wanted to write a newsletter for years. I've just always loved the form of newsletters. I'm not very great with scrolling social media like Instagram or Twitter. Um, They they give me a lot of anxiety, which I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people relate to. But email for me has always been something I can just turn on and off like a faucet and engage with it as much as I want. And I love that as a reader and was always really attracted to it as a writer. But I just never had a name for the thing I wanted to do. I wanted like a really great name for my newsletter. And the minute I heard that Greta Gerwig quote, which hilariously is from a Vogue interview she did, um, the interview series is called 73 Questions, and it's something she said in response to one of those 73 questions they asked her. And the minute I heard it, I thought, that's it. And I like I went on Substack, I opened an account, I got the domain name, like everything fell into place after that. But to answer your question, though, I think a lonely victory for me is really similar to what I would call a mini victory. I think there are so many steps along the way before we publish our writing. And those victories can be very lonely, but for me, like, when the mailman or the person at the coffee shop asks me how my day is going, it's a tough sell to sort of excitedly proclaim, I finished a really bad draft and now I get to start on a revision. So I have more work to do and people don't really get how truly victorious that can be as a writer. So by naming my Substack newsletter, Lonely Victories, I really wanted to give writers a space to celebrate all the little victories along the way. And I think, you know, finishing a draft, like I just said, or even a portion of a draft or just having a great idea for something a character could do or a realization you could come to in a piece of nonfiction writing or a poem, say, I think those are the lonely victories that I most wanted to celebrate with other writers.
0: Yeah. Um, I, you know, the lonely part of that, you know, the lonely part of lonely victories, I think is... I want to kind of focus on that for a second because you also run workshops with, with other writers and it seems like you're really well connected with, you know, um, a lot of other writers online and creators and, and, and you, and you meet them and you, and you have these really cool virtual kind of workshops and meetups and things like that. Um, so, um, yeah, so like, like how important, how important is that for you? I mean, like, I don't typically go out and and seek out like writing with a bunch of people. I run courses and things like that, but I always tend to just do my work alone. Like how does, how does adding that social element to writing for you? what, What, what does that do for you creatively? I'll, I'll ask.
1: Oh, it gives me a lot of permission. It makes me see that I'm not necessarily alone in what I'm doing and the struggles I'm having. Um, in addition to the victories I'm having, you know, that may feel like small potatoes in the grand scheme, but they're really not. They're huge. And an example I have is I have a really wonderful um, writing partnership, a swap partnership with the novelist, Laura Lee Smith, who lives in Northeast Florida. She's in St. Augustine and she has two novels out. She's working on her third and she was mentoring me. And then we just kind of became like, swap buddies. Like we would send each other our work maybe, um, you know, like once or twice a month Uh, that's grown into once a week as we're really, really in the weeds in our projects. Um, But for me with her, I, I, I think of her when I think of that sense of permission I mentioned, because I would notice her sort of getting stuck in certain ways. And I was getting stuck too in my own work. And I would think, oh, well, that's just how it is. Sometimes we just get stuck. Like even if you've written two books already, you still get stuck. And so it just let me not feel like a failure in what I was doing. It made me feel more like, oh, this is just part of the process that I need to accept. And so by gathering people together in community, whether it's in a workshop, in a meetup, like you mentioned um, in any sort of online setting where we're either in a zoom room together or just gathering together through comments or anything like that i feel like it's a chance to grant each other permission and it helps us keep going and makes makes the hard parts feel um just feel a lot less lonely too
0: do you ever for me um when i write a piece you know i've i've been in like bookshops coffee shops Uh, even in airports writing something and like, I'll start crying, (laughs) you know what I mean? As I write things, you know, and I consider, I consider those moments for me, like when I wrote the best work of my life, like when I'm, when I'm sitting there and I'm just, my emotions are just, just flooding the page. And I'm really feeling like I'm really saying what I need to say and what I, what my heart's dying to say. And I kind of want to ask you about, you know, when was the When did you write the best work of your life? And how do you judge whether it was the, you know, quote unquote, best work of your life?
1: I, for me, it really comes down to whether it resonated with me versus whether it resonated with a lot of people who read it. And if I can find the intersection of that, that feels like my best work. And undoubtedly, it is an essay that I wrote about the COVID pandemic, Um, I wrote it at the rise of the Delta variant when my town had the highest COVID rates in the entire country. And it was an essay about whether to stay put in my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida, where I've lived my whole life, or if it was time to finally leave. And it was a deeply personal piece of writing. It was really, really hard to write. And I actually submitted it to several publications, but no one wanted to publish it. And so I was a little beaten down. I thought like, oh, I thought I really thought I had something here something timely something emotional which feels like the sweet spot especially of like internet writing um and at the time I hadn't opened up paid subscriptions on my Substack but I decided to put it there anyways I just I was like I want this to live on the internet somewhere so I'll I'll put it up and um so many people loved it. And I had a little link at the bottom of my sub stack at the time that was like a tip me for coffee kind of a link. Like, oh, if you liked what you read, like send me a coffee tip. And so many people Venmoed me thanking me for that piece of writing. And it feels like the best work of mine because like I said, it resonated with so many people. And it was also for me just really deeply healing to write it. And so for me, it was a turning point in two ways as, as a writer on the internet. First of all, it made me realize that my subscribers wanted to see more personal writing from me on Substack. And at the time, I was really writing more about the craft of writing and less about the process and the emotions of the process. And so that encouraged me to make a big shift in the content I was putting forward. And it also made me realize that my subscribers might be willing to support me monetarily in a way that I did not realize. And that was hugely encouraging. So it just, that one piece of writing just really really helped me in a lot of different ways in my life. And I'm, I'm really, really glad I put it out there.
0: Um, I found in my own writing, when I'm feeling it the most, um, I kind of enter into obviously like a state of flow. I'm just, I can, I can just basically throw out like 2000 words or a thousand words, like within a couple hours you know, like one or two hours, just super quick when I'm really in the flow, when I'm really feeling something, when I'm really emotionally invested in whatever I'm writing. um, And I feel like my heart's really kind of saying what it needs to say. And I also find that when I'm in that moment, my audience tends to react to it in a similar fashion. So like, it's kind of like um, correlated, right? So when I'm really feeling super emotional about a piece when I really feel like that's something I my heart's dying to say. The audience loves it like on an equal kind of scale. You know, when I'm writing something that like my heart doesn't feel super great about, they, you know, they could take it or leave it, basically. Have you found that same thing works works for you as well? Is that how it is Uh, for you?
1: 110%, Tom. I totally agree. And the hard part is how do we access that more? <laughs> how do we how do we turn on the emotions more? It's not something you can just turn on most of the time. So I find that when I really feel it, I have to lean into it and just hope it comes back for me at some point.
0: How do you yeah, I, let's talk about that for a second. So how, like when I I feel like I go through kind of ebbs and flows as a writer, you know, and and uh, I'll I'll have like a week where I'm just like, you know, Loving it. I'm I'm I just words are flowing super easily for me. I'm getting I I'm getting everything out under the page. And then some weeks it feels like an absolute drag. So how do you have 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 you found any kind of rituals or you know, maybe taking a break, like things that you do to kind of get yourself back into that sweet spot for yourself as a writer? Do you have any tricks or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I'm a really big fan of setting ambitious word count goals when I'm feeling timid or feeling like I'm not entering the emotions in a way I could be. So for me, what that might look like is sitting down in the morning and saying, okay, in the next two hours, I'm going to write a thousand words and like giving myself an assignment. And it's so useful to do that because if I don't, I'll often sort of give up after 300 shallow words of writing and go do something else. But after 300 shallow words, I still have 700 to go. And so I think, okay, how can I make this more interesting then? How can I get a little deeper into, into the heat of what I'm trying to say? And that for me is so useful. Like That's, that's when I really can enter into emotions I would have avoided if I hadn't done something like that. And then that's where things obviously get really interesting in our writing. Like you said earlier, like readers can always tell if it's your authentic, deep emotions that they're reading. And so if I can dig a little deeper into that, I'm going to, but I have to kind of trick myself into it sometimes. Um, But like you said, I mean, I, I really do. I believe I say that and it sounds really stoic and like I do that all the time. I don't. Um, that's just a a strategy to getting into it. I think breaks are very important, but for me, I like to take a break and then not necessarily tell myself, okay, let's take a week and then come back on Monday. I like to tell myself, okay, let's take a week and then, um, really objectively reassess or not objectively, but methodically reassess where we are on Monday, like giving myself an assignment to check in with myself and see like, okay, do we honestly like, really need more break time because that's fine if we do uh but if we feel ready to maybe sit down and write a paragraph let's try it and we can always go back to taking a break
0: um hurley like it it, if if you can come up with some kind of a number like think about this like how many times do you find yourself needing a, a writing break every year let's say for me i think it's like I need to break like two or three times a year. It kind of happens like that for me, but I would like to, I'm interested to know how how that is for you.
1: Yeah, for me, I found a really steady pace that um, doesn't really make me require um long breaks which feels like such a miracle because I used to just burn out really easily you know I did my MFA in creative writing and that was like burnout city like I just was burning out left and right from writing constantly because I was trying to make myself be a writer that I am not I was trying to do like the Stephen King writing every day kind of a thing and I can't do it because spoiler alert, most people probably can't write that way. He has like some kind of a writing disease or something. I just can't do that. But he's like, I'm going to get up on Christmas morning and write <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to do that, Steven. Um. So for me, it's a matter of writing usually five days a week and always taking the weekend without fail. And something that's really um, upheld that for me is being part of an accountability group called the Morning Writing Club that's run by the writer Chelsea Hodson. And it's really simple. It's a Zoom call that meets every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Pacific. Um, Chelsea is on the, the West Coast, so um, she's waking up at 5. I'm on the East Coast, so I'm logging on at 8. But as a freelancer. It's really essential for me to just have those morning hours to put in the work, whether it's on my own projects, which I try to make it my own projects most of the time versus um, work that is assigned to me. But it is a really excellent place for me to just set aside time for what the writer Cal Newport would refer to as deep work and just have this devoted, uninterrupted writing time in which nothing else is scheduled. I never, ever, ever schedule a meeting during that time if I don't have to. You know, sometimes it comes up, but that's okay. And so I really shoot for five days a week during that time. But sometimes it's four. Sometimes I will take the week off. Like I am taking, you and I are recording this right before the end of the year. And I definitely will be taking the last week of the year off. So um, that's just, that's been the pace that works best for me.
0: And so that call, of which I'll link. So that call is, uh, well, if, if there's some kind of link online, I'll find it that people can sign up for it. Yeah, but, um...
1: It's actually just morningwritingclub.com.
0: Okay, great. And so it's every, is it every morning, um, Hurley?
1: Every, every weekday morning. And it's on, it's through Chelsea's Patreon and it costs $9 a month. And it's a really excellent resource for writers because it's not just the Zoom call. It's also, she has a series called How I Finished My Book that talks with writers about how they finish their books And she does a lot of Q and A's and there's a lot of great resources there for writers in all stages of their writing lives. So it's been an amazing, amazing community for me to be part of.
0: Cool. Okay. Um, Awesome. I'll link all that um, down below. So, all right, well, let's, let's get into Substack a little bit during the back half of the call. Um, So I've just recently started getting into Substack like I started my, my newsletter a couple of years ago, but I kind of, you know, on and off here and there published, and I started to get into it really heavily, like about eight months ago. Um, and I love it. I think it's a great, great platform. I'd like to ask you, you know, of all places like medium.com and, you know, ghost and like all these kind of, you know, other different platforms that you have for writing. Why did you choose Substack to get started on back in 2020?
1: So in 2020, Substack was new-ish. I think it had been around, but I it hadn't really been in my view um, at that time, aside from just a handful of writers I knew who had switched their newsletters over from MailChimp or Tiny Letter. Uh, not everybody had one, <laughs> the way it kind of feels like everybody has a Substack today. But this is such a small detail, but I really liked the landing and welcome pages they had the design was really nice i thought the email looked really nice on desktop and on mobile um and that one little landing page where people can enter where where you can capture email addresses i thought was just so nice and so yeah just i aesthetics have always been really important to me so um if something looks bad i i don't really want to do it um which honestly not to fire shots at discord but i think discord's kind of ugly so that's kind of why i haven't done it i don't like looking at it um but i for substack it's it's nice to me how the and this is really in the weeds maybe this is too in the weeds but Go ahead. i re- i really like how the email capture page is just the title of the newsletter maybe a sentence about it and sign up and that's the first your first impression of someone's newsletter so I love that. I could just see it really easily right when the platform came around and I knew that's where I was going to host it. And I also liked that it was an email newsletter, but it still had some social media and blog aspects to it, even before they rolled out features like threads, which I actually have never used. um, They had some very clear algorithmic benefits that a platform like I mentioned MailChimp and Tiny Letter earlier. Those things just don't have Flowdesk doesn't have anything like that. So it was also just plain and simple, free and easy to use. So it it felt like a no-brainer for me. I I didn't even think twice about it. I just knew I was going to go on Substack.
0: Yeah. It's interesting like how it combines a bunch of different things and it's a bunch of different things at once. Like medium.com is just like a blogging platform. It's kind of like Maybe, have you heard about Medium Hurley? Are you on there at all?
1: I've never been on. No, I, you know, I am not a very big early adopter. I think Substack is the only instance in which I've been an early ish adopter, but even then, I wasn't even that early. I really like to see how things unfold before I commit to doing a platform because I never want to just be kind of halfway on a platform. I want to to give it a lot of love and really engage with it so i for that reason i like to keep my my platforms really really small and um narrow in a sense um but for me medium just felt like one more thing to keep up with so i just never i never went on
0: i like that i have a lot of people that that respond to my emails and they're like tom i you know, I, I don't really want to be on a billion different platforms at once. I just kind of want to be on one platform. You know, all of it just gives me anxiety and, you know, to be everywhere at once, is just really, it's really hard. So it's really nice to hear you say, you know, like I just focused on Substack and and that was where I built my home base. And I think just for like a lot of writers that are might be might be listening to this, that's super important because, you know, once you can kind of like become a master of one platform, Um, and get used to that, then maybe you can jump out and do another one or, you know, expand out to another platform or something. But yeah, it was always medium for me back in the day. And that was when I that was my home. And that was the main place that I that I wrote on. And so, you know, I, I like I like that piece of advice from you. Okay, so so you got started back in 2020. So how how has it been for you? Like you know you you've grown the you've grown the newsletter to 1500 subscribers. I mean you've you've done great. So you know how have you felt on Substack?
1: I felt really great. Um, I've never had second thoughts about it. I've never thought about leaving for another platform. Um, I feel like Substack really cares about its writers. Also, its writers are its entire um monetary ecosystem. They make money when writers make money, and that business model is really great to me. Um, so choosing to stay on Substack, I I really felt a lot of love from the platform when I participated in a conference called Substack Grow last summer. And it's something that writers have to apply for. And I applied, I think at the time you had to have, they said you had to have 500 subscribers and I didn't last summer. Um, it's grown a lot over the last year. And I just applied anyways, thinking, you know, maybe, maybe they won't have enough applicants and they'll let someone with 400 subscribers in. (laughs) And and they did. They didn't even say anything to me. They just let me go. Um, And it was totally free. And it was just a great experience. I don't remember how many weeks it was, but it was several weeks, like Wednesday afternoons for several weeks last summer. And it teaches Substack writers how to not just grow their free newsletters but it really felt like it, it didn't feel like they were shoveling anything down my throat it felt like they were really educating me on how to make a paid subscription work if I ever wanted to turn that on which I I thought about it but I just wasn't sure if I if that was something I even wanted to do because like I said I don't like to do anything halfway I want to know that I can commit to it um but that that was just really encouraging to me and connected me to a lot of Substack writers in, within the ecosystem. And I, I made a lot of internet friends that I've kept in touch with through that conference. I also really like that Substack has great features they are always rolling out new features but they keep the basics you know there haven't been any surprises you can opt out of anything you don't have to use all the new features they're not going to force you to be on threads or make a podcast if you don't want to those are features that I don't use at all that are totally available to me on the platform but I don't feel like I'm getting a worse experience on the platform because of that um and you know since i got started when i started the newsletter in 2020 i was publishing twice a month because again that's what i knew i could keep up with and i had heard with with email marketing that consistency is really key and so i knew i could do twice a month and then it i kept that up for a while and then got a new job and really had to change my schedule to once a month for a little while Uh, But I didn't really notice anything happen to subscribers. Like no one was leaving. No one was mad at me. No one was like unsubscribing furiously. Um, But then when things started growing, I was suddenly like, and I turned on paid subscriptions. It was becoming, you know, a small but still part of my income stream as a freelancer. And so now I'm publishing one issue a week. And I've noticed a lot of growth because of that. And that's something they taught us during Substack Grow. They really said like we we are noticing um, upticks in subscribers across the platform for writers who are publishing more often, and that really stuck with me. And I didn't expect it because I feel like oh, people get so many emails every day. You know, like I I got so many. Substack newsletters today that I subscribe to, and I don't have time to read them all. So I thought, uh, no one wants another email from me, but actually they kind of do, <laughs> which is just totally wild to think about.
0: Interesting. So, so this Substack Grow program, it happens once a year, you said, Hurley?
1: I'm actually not sure. I don't okay. know if they have a set schedule for it. Okay. Um, but they occasionally will email. Um, I'm pretty sure they email anyone who's writing on Substack and do it. And hopefully they're still doing it. Um, but it was it was a really exciting thing. Very
0: cool. So, how many people were were in it alongside did you? Did you have any idea?
1: I have. There were thousands of people. I think truly. Wow. And and they broke us. They did it so well because they would have a someone who has had some success on on Substack, give a lecture at the top and give a presentation about something specific. And then they would have us go into breakout rooms based on the categories we were writing about. And so I was always in like the writing and literature breakout rooms and they would put maybe like six people in the breakout rooms. So we could just kind of, they would give us prompts to talk about and ways to brainstorm with each other. And it was like an unmonitored thing, but I made so many friends all over the world through that. Like one writer is in Australia and I still keep in touch with her.
0: Very, very cool. Um, So... And that's one of the things that I like about Substack is that, you know, you, you, I feel like the people there, the workers there, they are very invested in supporting their writers, their creators. And it makes a lot of sense. And I could go down a whole rabbit hole with this, but in the past couple of years, I feel like Medium just hasn't really cared as much as, as much for their writers as Substack has. And I have to, say Substack's done a really great job. I mean, I I felt really welcomed. I have, I forget who she, what her name was. I think it's Linda at Substack. She like, you know, uh she's, she works at Substack. So she, she reshared a post of mine a couple months ago. And um, I got a bunch of new subscribers from it. And I'm like, that's just really cool that like the people that work there, are like reading what's on the platform and they actually care. And I, I love that feeling um when I log on to Substack, you know,
1: so. I had a similar interaction during Substack Grow. Actually, um, it was being run by Katie, who works there. I think she's their like community engagement person. And I answered a question or, or asked a question during one of the sessions, and she said, "Oh, Hurley, I recognize you. I subscribe to your newsletter. It's so great." And then you know, I went in and looked at my subscriber list, and yes, indeed, she is subscribing and reading my newsletter um, because email is so great because you can you can see who opens the email. <laughs> So she was really engaging with it. It felt like in an authentic way. And yeah, that encouragement goes a long way.
0: Yeah, Hurley, like another thing about Substack and, you know, I'm going off on rabbit holes here and, but, you know, I think a lot of people from, from me, I keep mentioning medium, but I I love to draw that compare. I want to draw a comparison here so people can understand because my audience is just people from medium. Medium is like not really email based. I mean, it's just, it's a platform you go on. It's basically like a social media platform. You have a scroll, um, endless scroll of articles from people that you follow or people that the platform wants to promote and all that kind of stuff. But you never get it really kind of sent to your email, like specifically. Um, And a lot of people think, you know, in my audience, they're like, I mean, people, people really want to subscribe to another newsletter. Like they really want to get more emails. And I feel like, Substack has proven that yeah they will subscribe if 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 they are getting value from your newsletter like what how do you how do you feel about that
1: Yeah I I think yeah like you said it's absolutely true people are still subscribing because a lot of platforms are changing and going the way of the dodo bird I mean we've seen it I mean, Facebook hasn't gone the way of the dodo bird, but it's changed a lot. People are engaging with it a lot less, I think in our age group, especially. Yeah. Um, Instagram has changed a lot. The algorithm is very different. It's really hard to get someone to see a post that does not have a face in it, literally. Like it, it prioritizes faces over any, like if I put up a flyer for a workshop, maybe 13 people will see it. But if I put up a selfie 500 people will see it. It's ridiculous. So um, because of that, I think it's made me realize that nothing's happening to email. Email is the one thing that has remained constant throughout our internet lives, right? We've always had an email address. And so because of that, I think people do get more particular about what they subscribe to and what they don't. So they're less likely, I think, to subscribe to a newsletter than they are to follow an account on social media or even on Medium, maybe. Um, I've never been on Medium, like I said, so maybe that's not true. But I imagine because it is a space you can turn on and off versus your email, which, you know, you kind of have to look at your email every day. (laughs) Most people do, at least. But because of that, I find that the people who do subscribe really, really, really want you in their inbox. And they might change their minds. They might unsubscribe. I don't take that personally when people unsubscribe. I just think, oh, I I unsubscribe to things all the time. I unsubscribed to someone's newsletter today because I was like, oh, I kind of get it. Like, I don't need to read this all the time. And I might return to their Substack page to read, but I don't necessarily need every single update. Um, And if somebody does that to me, that's totally fine. But it proves to me that the people who really want to engage with the community I'm building, are actively engaging with it by inviting me into their inbox.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that that's that's a cool kind of way to look at it. You know, like a follower on Medium, um, let's say five followers on medium probably equal about one subscriber on Substack because right. they're gonna get every post from you in their email. And with open rates being anywhere from like typical from like being like 35 to maybe 50. I don't know that's what I've seen, at least, you know, you're good, you're, you're going to reach them at a lot higher at, at a much higher clip. So it's, it's more valuable, you know, every single subscriber. That's a really cool I, I thought there, Curly. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you're part of the Substack Grow program. I don't want you to like, you know, tell us everything you learned, but you know, what, what, what are a couple things that are important well, that have been important for you for growing on Substack. What are a couple things that you might a couple pieces of advice that you might give to somebody who's brand new to Substack um, about how to grow here?
1: It all comes down to the attitude of the content for me. And by that I mean it's extremely important to make sure that the value prop of what you're doing is really, really clear. I, I always ask myself, how is this going to be of service to people? This, this email I'm sending to over 1,500 people, which, you know, in the grand scheme isn't that many. Like, I know people who have 23,000 subscribers on Substack, but it's still a lot of people. It's a lot of inboxes to infiltrate week after week. So I ask myself, really, like, how can I make this feel like a gift or make someone's life feel slightly better after reading this? And it might sound harsh, but I think if writers can't figure that element out, they need to go back into the drawing board until they do. It's especially essential, the value prop element with paid subscriptions. I personally don't think that the support my writing by giving me $5 a month angle is enough. I I really think there needs to be a bonus for people who are paying their hard-earned money to support what you're doing. There should be some way in which they benefit but really sending an email at all should have that element to it too
0: i like that that thought of really think about whether this is providing value to people I, I i also have some you know some some people from my audience they email me and they're like hey tom like i don't know what to write about and i'm like man i for me i'm like overflowing with ideas a lot of the times so i mean yeah, maybe me too. would you say that if would you say that if you're having problems coming up with ideas, it might not be the best niche for you to write in? you know, how do you, how do you feel about that?
1: Not necessarily. I think that's a sign that maybe it's not something you produce every week. Maybe it's something you produce once a month. I think everybody can have an idea once a month. Maybe it's even something you do quarterly (laughs) it's something you do every other month maybe you send it out twice a year you know but your 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 email subscribers are there so they'll receive it and some of them might even be grateful that it's it's something that you clearly thought through that you you collected ideas for it over a period of time versus just racing to get something out because you said you would
0: yeah yeah um Okay. So, so, so basically have a thought, like growing on Substack. I love that. It's not like anything like technical, like, you know, like go and reach out to writers and all this stuff. It's, 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 it's the core of, of, of the newsletter, which is, are you providing value to people with every little issue that you're sending out?
1: Yeah. I I want to say that that's, that's the only thing you have control over. You know, you can, you can reach out to all the people you want, but you don't, really know what's going to come from that. You can hope for the best. I have, I mean, my, my newsletter has definitely grown because other people have shared it. That's a huge component of growth, but that was up to them. It wasn't up to me.
0: Yeah. And you already had that value there before, you know, right. before they, you know,
1: which is uh, why they shared it, you know? So yeah. that's, that's the most important part.
0: So Hurley, I, you know, short time here, I know. So, so I want, let's talk about monetization. Like, you know you mentioned you mentioned a little bit here and there um about i think maybe you locked that that post about whether you wanted to leave jacksonville behind the paywall or you were thinking about it when when did when did you first kind of monetize your news newsletter and what did you initially offer
1: i actually don't have any locked posts even after i've gone paid it will show the little lock symbol just because i put up a paywall for people who are maybe I run a book club through my sub stack. So it'll be information like a zoom link for the book club. So that's behind the paywall. But everything else I make the newsletter, it is open to all and that's something I want to uphold as long as I possibly can. I think that's really important. So um, I turned on paid subscriptions last November. I, like I said earlier, really waited until the value prop was extremely clear to me. My initial offerings are still offerings I have you know, over a year later, which is this book club I mentioned, it's called the book club for writers. It meets quarterly on zoom. And all we do is read books about writing and creativity. And it's a 90 a minute zoom call that we have quarterly, and it is such a wonderful community. And I'm so grateful that people are interested in coming to it because the discussions always fuel me in a really beautiful way. I also give paid subscribers 10% off any writing workshop I offer and I will say this, you know, in some cases students will take more than one workshop, and the discount will technically lose me money because you know the the rate at which they were paying to subscribe did not equal or or like the discount was greater than that. So mm-hmm. the way I see it, though, working with returning students really frees me up um, energetically because I know them and their writing after having worked with them before. And I have a sense of what their goals are. I have a sense of what their weaknesses are. And it saves me a lot of time and energy. And it's also just really nice to have people in class who already like me and what I'm doing. And it makes me feel like I don't necessarily have to prove myself as much to them. It's like, oh, okay, they... Th- this is this is providing value for them because they came back. So I I'm not worried about them. I'm just going to help them be better writers. But whereas others, I feel like I'm I'm trying to trying to hook them in a way, like trying to really show them like I have something for you. I I can really help you. So today, like I said, the offerings are the same. But as my paid subscriber list has grown, I've begun to offer more seasonal one-time programming for paid subscribers only. So a great example of that, last night, I hosted a goal-setting session for paid subscribers. We're coming up on the new year, and I wanted to help paid subscribers really look into the new year feeling like they had a sense of what they wanted to achieve in their writing in 2024. And it was such a beautiful conversation. Like for me, and it, it's, it's genuine for me, like I truly can't imagine a better way to spend an evening than doing something like that. And it was a great turnout. People were really into it, and so I'm going to keep doing things like that. But I put those things behind the paywall because, you know, I say it's there's no better way to spend an evening. But at the end of the day, it is part of my job, so I I want that to be part of that paid ecosystem.
0: Hurley, I feel like it's almost you. you I feel like the things that you do for your paid subscribers, you love it, like you. I do. You, and I wonder. I wonder if that's really like the only litmus test that people need to yes. figure it.
1: I really think, well, not only, I think you need to love it and it needs to feel like it's of service. And in this case, I think I found the exact right intersection and the intersection continues to become even more clear to me than it initially was. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that, that's that's a great that's a great little, you know, kind of spiritual type of like goalpost to shoot for, I guess, let's say for people with their paid with their paid tiers. Just think about what what can what's gonna provide value to people and think about what you would also love to do and and, and what would what would make you feel great um to to provide to people, you know? Um so yeah, Hurley so so we're you know basically just a couple of minutes left here. Um I wanted to you know you've you've talked a lot about substack and everything I, I wanted to before i ask you to shout out some things that you have going on do you, do you want to say anything final about uh you know growing on substack starting a newsletter writing in general is there any any final thoughts you want to give to people
1: yeah i would love to talk about growth a little bit um yeah. for me the growth has always been pretty slow and organic um and that's totally by me. I never started this thinking, oh, I want to have 50,000 newsletter subscribers. I don't know what I would do if that happened. Um, I'm most interested in engagement and community. And that often has little to do with gigantic subscriber numbers. And I mentioned him earlier, so I want to talk about this a little bit too. There is one person from whom I have I have gotten tons and tons of subscribers based on a recommendation, and that's Mason Curry, who is the author of the Daily Rituals series. He writes um, a collection of books that profile artists and the things they did in a day, the ways that they organized a day. And I've always loved his books, and I actually saw him, I noticed his name pop up. This was before Substack Grow. This was just during the pandemic. I think so many people went on Substack that Substack was like, oh my God, we have to teach these people how to use our platform and not just have people contacting support all the time. And so they did a few like seminars, just one day seminars back in 2020. I don't think they've done it since, but um, Mason Curry was in one of those Zoom rooms and I just saw his name and DM'd him and said, hey, are you the Mason Curry that writes the daily rituals books? And he said, yes. And I said, oh my God, I love your books. And he said, thanks. I just started a Substack that you might like that's very similar to my books. And so I said, that's great. And I was feeling a little bold and said, I just started a sub stack that's for writers and readers that talks about the writing process and he subscribed to it. And so I immediately noticed that he subscribed and I just immediately emailed him. I had his email now. So I emailed him and just seized the moment and said, Hey, it was great to meet you in this session. Can I interview you for my newsletter? And he said, sure. And so I interviewed Mason and posted it and he shared it in his newsletter and he has continued to engage with my newsletter. Um, that initial share got me- ton of subscribers a big bump if you look at my little my little subscriber chart you know you can see a pretty big bump from that day um and as he's continued to engage and share things i was doing um he's just been a huge supporter then last summer this was this is my favorite thing that substack has ever done they rolled out a a, a feature called recommendations in which writers can recommend formally recommend their favorite newsletters and he recommended my newsletter formally in that way and included a really nice blurb about how I help writers instill a sense of accountability in their writing, which is very true. And I have had a tremendous amount of subscribers, like of, I I, I don't know exactly, I don't wanna like put a figure out there that isn't true, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like maybe a thousand of my subscribers have come from that. And so I just wanna say that as an example of how one relationship on the internet can help so much. Just one person's endorsement can help. Because, you know, like, like you said earlier, like, is it a matter of talking to other writers? Like, yes. And I have gotten, you know, nice subscription numbers from other people sharing my newsletter too. But sometimes, sometimes it's just one person that stands out above the rest. And I think it is because the intersection of my newsletter and Mason's is so clear. Like we are talking about process and that's, so it would be natural that his, his subscribers might appreciate what I'm doing as well. And I noticed too, that I'm getting more subscribers now than I'm posting once a week, but I will say like. It's kind of back to slow organic growth, and that's okay with me. So I think knowing your definition of what success means on a platform like that is really important too,
0: Curly, It's been awesome talking to you. Um, you know, it's really interesting and and awesome to hear how organic how organically you approach your substack newsletter, the things that you write, the way that you interact online. It seems like everything you do uh, is born out of like a real love of doing it and a real love of meeting new people and a real love of art and writing and expressing yourself. And a lot of times in my realm, people just want to learn how to grow. They just want to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, yes, like, sure, we do this to grow a little bit as well so that we can maybe make some money and maybe do this a little more often, right? But like at at the core, it's a love of what you're doing. And I really like that you expressed that so well during this conversation. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so I also want to just really quick ask me. Thank we you end,
1: so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So so really quick as we end here, um, please take a second to shout out, you know, everywhere we can find your writing and and let us know about any paid programs that you offer. I know you have a couple of different things. So just go ahead and this is your this is your moment to shine. Yeah.
1: Sure. So my newsletter can be found at lonelyvictories.substack.com. I would love for people to subscribe for free. And then if you seem like you like what I'm doing, please consider going paid. I run my book club for writers. You can find all the information about that at bookclubforwriters.com. We're reading four really amazing books um, about the writing process and about creativity in the new year. So you can see all of that information at bookclubforwriters.com. Uh, if you want to read more of my writing, I have a website. It's hurlywinkler.com. dot com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Hurley
0: OK, awesome. Hurley, thank you so much for coming on and being the first guest of the Mind of a Writer podcast. I really appreciate this. I'll never forget this. Thank you so much.
1: It's been such a pleasure, Tom. Thank you for inviting me.